Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wildbo's most underappreciated work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are here, Elliot, to talk about Damages 2.5, a good old-fashioned sword fight arc, one of them classics. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a big action-heavy chapter, so mm. I guess we should just get straight into it. Yeah, um, so 2.4 left us with a, a big... Beautiful swordswoman with a wobbly sword <laughs> st- uh, stepping to Blake. Um, and we continue right there with, again, this swordswoman stepping to Blake uh, before Mrs. Lewis does a great little bluff where she just kind of <laughs> steps in between them and is like, ah, no, 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 go ask your master who I am. Uh, let me read the quote. Let me read the quote. So she says, go ask, Mrs. Lewis said, ask your master who I am and whether you should carry through, which is a total yeah. bluff. Um, well, no, the, like, the master there is in italics, and, and so you can tell she's just sort of shit-stirring, like, she's, like, just really emphasizing the fact that this familiar now, or that this fairy now has a master, mm-hmm. um, which is just great. Yeah, we get some hints that this is a relatively new, uh, familiar p- practitioner relationship, so, um, I feel like that yeah. one still has a bit of sting in it. Yeah, exactly. Um... So this is a total bluff, right? Because Mrs. Lewis doesn't have her powers. She's not working, so she doesn't have any actual powers um, at the moment. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm, I've sort of been working off the impression that she has defenses lined up. Like, she can't use her power, but if somebody tries to mess with her, presumably, like, li- literally all hell breaks loose. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. It feels very... <laughs> it feels like a bluff to me. It feels like a bluff. Yeah, yeah, um, it could be. Uh, it was a good one if it was. Yeah. Like it, well, had, it, it worked on me. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it works on on this uh, on this swordswoman who turns into a bird and flies away or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who, who runs off? Um, and this gives Blake. Uh, yeah, let's call it Team Blake. We've got here T- Blake, Mrs. Lewis, <laughs> Rose, etc. A chance, even though Blake's really the only one in serious danger here, uh, gives him a chance <laughs> to run away. Um, Blake does a little unlocking spell to open a door and run downstairs and start hiding. Yeah, and I love this bit. So he, she teaches, Miss Lewis teaches him the spell to unlock the door. Yep. And then on their way in, he, he sticks it on backwards or something and, and uses a bit more blood in a hope that that will keep it locked or something. It's It, <laughs> it was a little unclear to me. And, and then uh, Miss Lewis is like, yep, yeah, great. And, and they keep going. And then Rose is like, is it great though? And Miss Lewis is just like, well... Probably not, but I just want him to be confident because it's going to yeah. be worse if he's confident and doesn't know anything as opposed to doesn't know something he's a bit confident. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, that's everything Blake has been complaining about, which is like, I think usually I, I tend to lean more towards Rose's side, but this is a great instance of Miss Lewis being like, yeah, all that crap Blake's always whinging about. He kind of does have a point. <laughs> um. Yeah, I like, I mean, this, we're going to get up to this more as the chapter goes on, but this really is the first beat that we get about how important like being showy is uh, for, for mm. being a practitioner. Specifically, Blake being more confident makes him a better practitioner because he kind of believes what he's doing more and that gives it more inherent power, right? Uh, I hadn't even thought about that angle, but considering what happens directly after, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so then uh, Mrs. Lewis shows Blake how to block connections instead of strengthening them. You just basically draw a line perpendicular to it with blood. It's straightforward, this practitioner stuff. It's good, easy to remember. <laughs> um, but also teaches Blake that, you know, doing it with flair is better than just doing it because the spirits or whoever's watching care about <laughs> making it interesting, <laughs> basically. 
Yeah, it's it's great. And I mean, for for people who don't know, and I guess this is this is dipping into worm territory a bit, but uh there's there's a user called J Maniac who's been making some great YouTube videos recently uh on on worm and its premise and, and mm. uh they talk a lot in that about sort of how worm presents itself uh, and, and integrates narrative devices into the story to make them make sense and pack yep. is just completely destroying worm in that regard like this theory <laughs> was was a great thing for worm but i'm reading pack now and i'm just like this is doing that but like a hundred times more like the spirits yeah. the spirits literally reward you for doing things in a cool way which is great because now Wildbo can just be like, oh, but Blake had to do it in a cool way. And as a reader, I can be like, yep, makes sense. Yeah, of course and you did. It's Why cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was so cool learning about the kind of cops and robbers mentality in, in Worm for the first time as a like, hey, this is a thing that explains this trope that exists in this world, but does it in a way that's logical. And yeah, you're right. Pact just does that like everywhere constantly. <laughs> yeah. um, it's pretty fun. Like just just making making the spirits kind of stand-ins for the readers where it's like ah we'll reward you more if you do cool stuff like that's that's so great yeah it's literally they're the they're the audience judging the actions of the the protagonists it's very fun yeah i i also have this little line where as as miss lewis is explaining this she, she quickly says everything you do has meaning and informs your practice and i just love because that line is so literally true that it's kind of terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah being a practitioner really does feel like walking on eggshells in your entire life a lot of the time. Yeah, you have to worry about everything all the time. She's she's not exaggerating when she says everything <laughs> you do has meaning. You Literally have to think about everything, everything you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we continue the uh, Mrs. Lewis explains stuff to Blake trend uh, with talking about kind of fairy in general and and uh, what has might have caused this fairy to end up in this. Uh, circumstance where she's a familiar to a, a very young practitioner hmm. um blake and rosa basically uh set the task of well now that you know kind of how fairies work figure it out figure out how to get out of this yeah it's very much miss lewis is a trial by fire kind of coach um <laughs> i like how we learn as well in this as she's sort of explaining more about fairies it's not just crude elements like like raw metals and stuff that hurt fairies. Yeah. Like the part of the reason Miss Lewis's bluff worked so well at the start is because they're also offended by crude attitudes. Like it, it's crudeness, just in a general sense. Like it, it doesn't have to be literal, and that it's just you know Pact is constantly doing this sort of stuff, and I love it. And um, yeah, and even that weakness to crude things, not not just attitudes but physical things, comes down to how they live their lives through glamour and yeah. and and lying it's it, great i think we've made this point before consistently throughout this show but <laughs> ha- having symbolism as a part as a literal part of how the world works is very fun <laughs> yeah it's great um, i i like how this fight scene you know it's it's an action scene but it's it's also just kind of a puzzle right like we have these puzzle pieces oh this is a fairy this is how they work this is her- roughly what we know about this particular fairy this is what they might be weak against. Mm. And we kind of have to take all those bits and pieces and put them together into a, oh, this is how you can win this specific fight. This is the right wording to use. This is the right kind of path to try, right? Yeah, because I definitely, I came into this chapter expecting it to be a lot more like by the second action heavy. Mm. Like I was expecting, you know, Miss Lewis to be like, now jump left and Blake would like tumble to the left as the sword swung past or something. Um <laughs> 
Whereas it's very much like for the, for the majority of this chapter, they're actually kind of like running and it's sort of tense, but it's not, they're going to die any second tense. It's they're going to die any minute. Yeah. Um, it's, it's running and hiding and then, oh, quick, a little bit of combat, run and hide yeah. and use what you learned to, to try again. Yeah. And, and it very much seems to be the sort of setup for all of this stuff. Cause it's kind of similar to what we saw with the, the bird skull creatures before is it's you you try and get somewhere where you can have enough time to figure out what you're actually going to do, um, yeah. and then you do it, is, is sort of the pattern so far. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, Mrs. Lewis does more explaining, <laughs> talks about uh, how they've cornered themselves into an isolated place, which is basically a good place for practitioners to be because you're out of the way of, you know, prying eyes and you're more near to uh, ghosts and vestiges and whatever else that might actually help you out. Yeah, well, it's basically because I, I guess because practicing is all about bending the rules and that stuff doesn't work as well when there's non-practitioners around. Yeah, you kind of do want to isolate yourself so that you don't have to worry about that. I, I, is my understanding of what she said. Um, but I, I kind of enjoyed this because I, I remember reading somewhere a while ago that Wildbo really likes to write characters into corners to see like how they'll or what he can think of or what they can think of to to get out. And and so sort of like Pact is immediately sort of establishing that, well, I'm not going to put myself in literal corners anymore. There's going to be metaphorical corners. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Blake and Rose are still kind of puzzling together Mrs. Lewis's drip feeding clues and eventually decide to uh, challenge the fairy into a duel um, and whoever wins gets to claim a prize, which is an interesting yeah. strategy. Um, I mean, because she's already coming down there to kill them, so I, I I guess the duel aspect is just to establish rules, but then they don't establish any rules, so I yeah. don't I don't fully get what this achieves, except that it adds a reward to them if they win, uh, which, you know, spoilers, they do, so it's good, but I don't get how this made them safer. Well, I, I think it's important to see it as, like, what's the narrative from an external perspective of what's happening? So right now, the narrative on what's happening is this fairy is chasing Blake and is going to kill him, right? And it's a, like, yeah. hunter-hunted kind of dynamic. And when you're in a world where the fairies are so literally powered by what narrative they're living out, as well as, you know, the spirits observing, I think it's an important moment here for them to kind of redefine the the story as not, oh, we're being hunted down as ki- and killed, but it's, hey, we're challenging each other to a fight. And that means either of us could win. It could be really close. Who knows what's going to happen kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I I like that explanation. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a. I guess it's also just <laughs> them trying to gain some control over how yeah how things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, imagine if this chapter had played out the exact same way, but Blake hadn't challenged uh, this fairy into a duel. Right. Like, the the mm. actual actions would have been the same, but you you just kind of get the sense that by making it more the- theatrical, it just works better. Yeah. Sure. Um. So yeah, the fairy is very <laughs> easily baited into dueling them. Um, Blake just kind of insults the fairy like, oh, you're chicken, you're chicken, and then the fairy bites, which is a, a classic trope that, that really makes sense with what we know about how fairies work. Um, yeah, and so so they agree to terms for this duel, which is they steal some of her power if they win, and she gets to own them for like a year and a bit uh, if they lose, which is... Um, I mean, it's funny because Blake keeps insulting her, and he's like, "Oh, am I making it worse?" <laughs> and then he and he's like, "No, it's okay," because she's going to kill me anyway. And then 
he sort of realizes, well, actually, there's a lot worse things than her killing me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> and the fairy makes this explicitly clear. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> it definitely evokes all the mentions of flayed skin that were happening throughout the whole first arc, <laughs> right? Like, it's yeah. not hard to imagine that that's what, <laughs> that's what awaits Blake and Rose. In fact, I like the way that she sets it up. She says, you know, the first day I own you guys, I'm going to torture you so much that it will be the worst day of your life, and I'm going to make sure that that's the case for every single day. Mm. Which is, yeah, pretty good, pretty scary threat. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'd rather die, probably. Yeah, uh, so uh, Blake asks Mrs. Lewis for the name of a demon that he can summon just in case it goes really badly. And Mrs. Lewis is like, oh yeah, yeah, if it goes badly, say the name Ornius seven times. And Blake is like, all right, Ornius, or-, and he just kind of starts saying it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it visibly terrifies the fairy, which is like, you know, as Blake explicitly says, this is someone who spent thousands of years becoming a practice liar. So you can tell if their poker face is slipping. Yeah. Like, this is some serious shit. So, of course, he just keeps saying it. Um, he keeps pushing the line. I like Rose's reaction, which is so Rose. She, she says, Jesus, penis, fuck, Blake, no. Which is not a <laughs> swear. It's not a swear word. I don't know. I don't know what Rose is doing, but it's so Rose to not properly know how to swear. Just a great little character moment. I love it. Yeah, it's good. Um, so Blake is kind of running around, rummaging through the trash that's in the <laughs> in their surroundings, and he finds some um, nails and screws that he throws at the fairy, and he finds a pipe that he starts using to kind of smash into her. Um, throughout the whole fight, kind of saying Ornius again and again to bait the fairy into fighting him head on and not using all of its trickery. Yeah, well, it's it's his way of controlling the fight because she's trying to stop him from saying Ornius. So every time he says it, he kind of forces her to act, which lets him respond. Yeah. Um. But I like this bit where he throws like the nails and stuff at her because his thought as he's going, he's like, oh, I need to be theatrical about it. So he throws all this stuff at her and he says, "Take this," which is just, <laughs> it's not it's not a very good line. Like <laughs> honestly, I think <laughs> he's learning, Elliot. Come on, <laughs> take this. Ha! Yeah, nails. If I'm one of the spirits, he's probably losing points for that one. Um. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't even he doesn't even like see whether it has any impact. Um, yeah, he throws with yeah. his offhand as well. He really doesn't put the effort in to try and make it work. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this yeah. is why confidence is important, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so the the fairy kind of Blake strikes out at the fairy with the pipe, and the fairy disappears in a puff of pixie dust. Um, and Blake knows that he's about to get jumped from some unknown angle, so he says he starts to say Ornius again for the seventh time, and this baits out the fairy. Uh, he he bites her hand, which is pretty metal, and then um, <laughs> smashes her with a pipe and and you know knocks her out or knocks her prone. Yeah, and and then he sort of has a bit of a or a bit of a PTSD episode in in response to this, um, which you know presumably goes back to his time living on the streets and stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, like he's sort of talking because he's he's so wrecked at this point. Like he's sort of bringing up in his thing. He can barely stand. Yeah. And he starts throw. He's he starts throwing up after like beating the ever loving shit out of her. Yeah. Um. And and he's like half of it was like exhaustion and feeling sick, but the other half was like just these flashbacks he's he's basically yeah. having. Yeah. It sounds like he's uh, all the magic he's been doing has been draining him, and this fight and the flashback and it's all kind of piling up to yeah. not be great. Um. We do get this cool little moment where Mrs. Lewis says something like, after after he beats the shit out of this fairy, Mrs. Lewis says, oh, now I see why Rose picked you. And Blake's like, wait, what? 
And Mrs. Lewis is like, what? oh, nothing, nothing, don't worry. <laughs> she doesn't actually say Rose. She does say she. Um, right. Yeah, but no, you're right. It, it's it's a little hint that, you know, where Molly, that there's been more and more hints throughout this whole arc that where exactly Molly fits in is not just some poor girl who got about nothing done for four months and then died with in with no meaning. Like, I think Molly, what Molly did during those four months is going to have more of an impact later, and, and mm. I don't know if this fits into that, but um, it's a great little tease just to remind us that there's more going on here than Blake is aware of. Yeah. Um, so Blake has, uh, beaten, has effectively beaten this fairy and so claims a prize, takes some of her hair, and we get this bit about Rose being like, well, I want to claim a prize too. But uh, since the fairy is already <laughs> defeated, for Rose to claim a prize, she would have to defeat her again, and not in just a straight fight, because she's already been defeated. You can't defeat someone who's defeated. So we need to do something pretty wild, like break her mentally, or <laughs> who knows what. Cut her off from heaven, maybe? Who knows? Yeah, they got to, like, torture her or something. Basically, yeah. Blake and Rose pretty much agree that that's not really something they want to do. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it's kind of like Blake says to her, like, Rose, I don't think you should do that. And Rose is like, yeah, no I shit. Gonna. <laughs> um, it, it reminds me of when they were talking to, to Maggie and Johannes after the council meeting. And Rose was like, no, no, going to the North End is not my kind of thing. And it seems like uh, Blake and Maggie just kind of assumed that because she's an other, she'd be kind of into it. Um, it's weird. It, <laughs> Maggie, it, at least, yeah. Yeah, Maggie, at least, definitely does. It's kind of, I, I feel like Blake's level of faith in Rose is slipping a bit here. Yeah, I don't know. Their relationship's definitely getting more and more strained by the chapter. Um, yeah. In, in some ways. They're still kind of tight, but I think that's only because they kind of have to be. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, mm. I also, like, there's this weird bit, and, and maybe I misread it, but it sounds like they've already earned bad karma in this duel, just mm. based on some phrasing Miss Lewis says, which I don't, again, I don't really understand why they got bad karma for the fight that they did. Um, so if, if somebody knows, please post it in the Reddit thread um, <laughs> and let me know. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, call to action. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Blake takes some of the fairy's hair. Rose doesn't claim a prize. And uh, then Blake goes and grabs June, June's hatchet, which was kind of thrown mid-fight as a, like, as a kind of attack that didn't really do much, I guess. Yeah, oh, but it's just great bit. Like, Blake's still treating her like a person, not a thing. Um, yeah, which is a great recurring bit of um, Blake really... Not he doesn't just want to take advantage of potential sources of power. He he he's not he doesn't want to use people, right? Yeah, because uh, like again, I talked a lot about in the chapter where they first got a hold of June. Um, I talked about how I wasn't sure if you could classify her as a ghost or like or, or an inanimate object versus like something with feelings. Yeah, and it, it, now that she's in a hatchet, I find it a bit easier to just consider <laughs> her as an object. Yeah. Like honestly, um, whereas. Like Blake is just still as far along the she's something with feelings line as he ever yeah, was, which I, is you know is good of him. Blake, Blake is clearly not comfortable just treating her as a magical plus two damage hatchet or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I like that Blake's character is consistently kind of heroic, right? Like, yeah, you know, ever from the first, even from the first chapter when he <laughs> forced the woman who gave him a lift to take some money in exchange, he's never like being okay with using people right yeah exactly and, and i think that's part of why he's going to struggle in this world <laughs> yeah totally 
So Blake basically says to the fairy, hey, we'll we'll trade you for our freedom, change into a bird so we can hold you. Um, and then that yeah. basically happens. Blake grabs this bird fairy uh, hands and hands uh, her back to her owner, master. I don't know the word for it. Yeah, I think it's master. So, so I don't quite get this. At what point did they, because it kind of sounds like they have ownership of the fairy until they decide to give her back, which I didn't really understand how that happened. Like, they took the hair. I thought the deal was done at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, they had defeated her, so maybe there's some concept of, like, you know, she has been claimed as their prize to an extent. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it's definitely, it's because it, it's, it, it, it turns out to be this sort of sign of, this show of good faith that he gives the fairy back um, yeah. just sort of peacefully, really. Yeah, and it, it works. They, you know, the the... Two Duchamps, the older one, kind of calls her mother um, and has this great conversation about, like, no, no, we're going to let him go. No, think of it as a favor for me taking her to to dance (laughs) recital for six months. And there's this weird kind of back and forth over the phone while Blake just stands there awkwardly watching. And Mrs. Lewis is still there as well, which is Yeah, well, and, like, Blake calls it out a bit later, but he's sort of standing there trying to, like, be like, oh, I'm too tough to take on, but he's clearly (laughs) sort of wobbling because he's about to pass out. So, like, you can just imagine she's on the phone. Miss Lewis is probably just standing in the background looking scary as fuck, and Blake's just sort of standing there trying to look menacing but wobbling (laughs) Wobbling on the spot. Leaning against the wall, yeah. I I, want to ask you this, Elliot. If if Penny, the older Duchamp, had, had, you know, gone on the attack here, do you think Blake could have taken her on? No, I think Miss Lewis would have had to do something that probably wouldn't have been great for anyone. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. But the, the reason it's not a definitely to me is, you know, this whole chapter has been about theatrics and how important they are to, to you know, the kind of flow of power in the world. And Blake is so, mm. he's like, he's in badass mode right now, you know? <laughs> um, whereas Penny has just kind of, you know, hassled her mother over the phone. <laughs> Like, yeah. as the audience, we are basically the spirits, <laughs> right? And so my reading on this is like, well, Penny seems like she's a bit of a weakling at the moment, and Blake seems like a badass, so maybe he could take her on, and maybe that's enough power to, to get him across the line. I mean, maybe. At, at best, it might just counteract the weakness he's currently got for lying earlier. Yeah, um, true. I don't know. He's not in good shape, is he? Um, but yeah, no, this this sort of comedy bit about how... um. You know, she wants to trade the favor of taking her sister to dance lessons for six months. <laughs> Trades off with like, uh, I think the quote is like the end of the world and hellfire on earth and stuff. Yep. Um, it's it's just kind of hilarious and sort of shows how out of place this whole practitioner world is, where they're they're juggling these same things in the same sentence. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it's a good beat. Um, so yeah, they negotiate the end of the world, dance lessons, etc. And uh, basically, Penny negotiates and lets Blake kind of have a free pass to go and deliver his letter and then head home. Um, yeah. And Penny seems to be like, you know, she's she's being nice, as nice as she can be in this situation. Uh, but Blake yeah. is not keen on, on being <laughs> nice. He, he spits up some blood on the ground at her feet, just kind of trots off. Yeah, well, she's sort of like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Penelope, but my friends call me Penny. Yeah. And he just sort of spits on the ground in front of her and is like, okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> which is, uh, a- you know, any goodwill that was starting to be, yep. uh, generated just got obliterated. But, yeah, um, that's sunk all the ships right there. <laughs> uh, she's an enchantress. So I don't know if, if, if I was in Blake's shoes, you could ever really trust 
Oh yeah, a, a positive relationship with her. So I don't think he's really lost anything here. But it was just kind of like, you know, she does something nice, and he's just like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, it's needlessly um. <laughs> uh, aggressive. But I mean, you know, I mean, he, he doesn't he really do it on situation. purpose. It, it's a reaction to the blood landing into his mouth. But he doesn't. He doesn't sort of say, "Oh, sorry, it was the blood." He's just like, "Yeah, whatever," and walks off. <laughs> yeah, it's not his blood. It's uh, it's blood from the fairy who he bit. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> that's the end of Damages Two Point Five. He heads off to deliver the letter, basically. Yeah. Um. So, what did you think of of Two Point Five, Elliot? I, I liked it. As I sort of said, um, this wasn't quite as well, it wasn't action packed in the way I was expecting, but it was it was pretty great. Like, I love the problem solving. We're still getting exposition dumped on us, but it's it's while we're fighting the the creature that we're getting exposition on. So it, it doesn't feel forced. Um, mm. It feels very applicable. Uh, so, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I The two things I like the most about this chapter is how this fight is set up as like a, a kind of Poirot-style mystery where you have to put the pieces together to figure out how to win the fight. Um, in addition to just... Yeah. I, I love the dramatic... The dramaticness of it all, you know? The theatricality of it all. It's just a fun little system. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. And so then I guess that brings us to our bonus bonus round for this chapter. <gasps> bonus round, <laughs> bonus point. Uh, so we, we're going to do another comment deep dive uh, for this episode because uh, there were some great comments under this chapter. So, uh, Ruben, what did you bring? Uh, so, again, I found it hard to just stick to one comment because there's so much back and forth. Um, yeah, it's it's usually kind of a th- almost a little thread that I'm pulling, not just yeah, a single. Totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, but the two main contributors from this were uh, Chiro and Surfuente. Surfuente. Um, talking about, there's another part where Blake must just look terrifying to normal people, you know, lurching <laughs> out of the out of the basement, bloodied, s- stumbling around, and it, it's similar to how Blake didn't realize how terrifying he he would look back when he was buying mirrors and knives. Um, I, I, I just like how this, this kind of highlights how Blake doesn't see himself as threatening at all. Like, even <laughs> yeah. when he's doing things which any sane person would say, well, this makes you look like a serial killer. Blake is just kind of like, <laughs> oh, why are you reacting like I'm a threat? I'm just staggering around with a bunch of knives. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting character quirk of Blake's that he kind of sees himself as... Uh, I don't know the underdog, maybe, or or just a not a th- not a threat. Yeah, he doesn't see himself as a threatening guy um, at all. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just like that as a little kind of thing to point out about Blake's character. Yeah, um, and so I brought uh, a comment again. It's a comment and sort of the response. So the original comment was by Meister, and then there's a response just a bit down from Source Dave. And they're sort of talking about, um, you know, this hilarious uh, Duchamp family, like, dysfunction that shows up as they're discussing the end of the world versus dropping uh, sisters off at uh, dance lessons. And how, like, it it kind of fits that the Duchamp family would be a bit dysfunctional because they're so used to manipulating relationships with magic mm-hmm. um, that maybe maybe they're not as practiced as they should be at just dealing with people who they can't just magic uh, around. Yeah, um, it, which it, is it, which is an interesting angle. It makes sense. I mean, a lot of this story has messy family dynamics, right? Like Blake's family, yeah, Duchamp's sure. obviously have some weird stuff going on. No, it's hardly unique to the Duchamp family, but I I, I like this idea that um it, yeah, they're they're too used to manipulating people through the magic that 
when there's someone who's probably immune to that, they're not, they're a bit lost. And yeah, I don't know if it bodes well for this marriage between the Duchamps and and the Bahames. I guess we'll see. Yeah, uh, where that might go in the future. Yeah, I mean, it. You already get the sense that that marriage is uh, quite political, which I don't know if oh, that yeah. makes for the happiest <laughs> for the happiest <laughs> marriage. But it's it's an interesting thread to keep an eye on, I suppose. Yeah, and that brings us to the end of uh, damages two point five. Yeah. Um, so if you guys enjoyed uh, hearing us discuss this episode, why not jump in and join the conversation? The way to do that is to follow the link to the discussion thread in the little episode notes down below in the bottom of the podcast player. <laughs> uh, also in those notes, you'll find the link to our website, uh, mediumdpodcast.com, where you can find links to subscribe to this uh, podcast on your podcast catcher of choice. Yep, uh, on that podcast catcher, you can also review us. Uh, iTunes reviews especially would be very helpful for getting our show in front of more people and sharing the great theatricality of Pact with uh, <laughs> with the whole world. Um, you can check out our, t- our Twitter where we post about all our shows and interact with people if you want. You can tweet at us or, you know, you know how it is. Yeah, that's how Twitter works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I guess apart from that, we'll see you all on the 4th of February, the, the 4th Monday. 4th of February, yep. For bon- uh, nope, not bonds. <laughs> Damages two point six. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>